0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sundays with Saima. This podcast is made for aspiring otolaryngologists to learn from trainees and professionals in the field. I'm your host, Saima Wase, fourth year medical student at Northeast Ohio Medical University. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Max Plitt, a general otolaryngologist with a focus on sleep and sinus surgery in private practice in Chicago, Illinois. He earned his medical degree from Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School. He then went on to complete his residency at Rush University. Dr. Plitt, thank you for joining me today. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So to start out, can you give us a little bit of the story which brought you to otolaryngology?
1: Of course, I love telling this story. Um, it it first started uh, when I was in college. Uh, I went to Indiana University. Um in Bloomington, and um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do when I was a freshman. And a lot of my friends were pre-med and I, I went to study science and I got a scholarship to study science, but I wasn't sure which direction I wanted to go into. And I was kind of inspired by uh, friends to maybe go into medicine. And one of my family is a doctor, um, so I was just like, yeah, sure, I'll give it a shot. And then by the time, you know, it was junior year, senior year, I was taking it very seriously. And I was like, OK, this medical school thing's going to happen for me. Um, I got accepted to Rutgers University. Um, and originally it was called University of Medical uh, Dentistry of New Jersey, UMDNJ. And then I got uh, transitioned to Rutgers. So I started there in, um, I believe it was 2011. Yeah, 2011. And, um, from there I was like, okay, so now I'm in medical school, what am I going to do? And I started thinking about what are all the things that, that, you know, I'm good at or that I like, and I originally thought, oh, I'll go into cardiology just because mm-hmm. I thought the heart was really cool. Um, but it wasn't until I realized, you know, you know, into my second and third year that I was really, you know, uh, more into like hands-on things and, you know, solving problems and, um, getting creative and, that's when I was like, well, maybe I can become a surgeon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I did a rotation on general surgery and I got to be honest, I wasn't crazy about it. <laughs> um, I liked, yeah, I liked, um, assisting in the surgeries. Um, I, I liked the fast paced nature of it, but there was just something about the pathology and, um, I guess the variety of cases that just didn't really appeal to me, but I was like, oh man, I really liked surgery. Um, and so then I maybe was considering orthopedics, plastic surgery, urology. Um, And then someone just randomly told me about ENT. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I didn't really know much about it. I just knew about like, you know, uh, tonsils and adenoids and uh, ear tubes. So I was like, yeah. Uh, So one of the uh, professors gave a really good uh, talk on ENT. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, sounds great. I'll, I'll do a rotation and see if I like it. And my very first day, everyone was super friendly very laid back, great personalities. And they're like, Hey, we're so happy to have you on a rotation. We need your help in the operating room. I was like, okay. They're like, <laughs> we're going to do a free flap. I'm like, what's a free flap. And so they just threw me in, um, into the case and I was assisting on a fibula free flap for a oh, wow. large oral cavity carcinoma, um, with a, you know, it was a segment. Mental mandib- mandibulectomy, and we had to fix it with a fibula and we did neck dissections. And I, it was me and another student. We were there for 12 hours. I go, I had no idea this was what ENT was all about. Mm-hmm. And from there on, I was like, this is what I'm gonna do.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, albeit I'm not, you know, a head and neck recon surgeon. Um, but I was just so just I was just so inspired by the people that I was working with mm-hmm. in the surgeries that we're doing. It. I was like, I had no idea. I thought it was so cool. Um, and then I was like, all right, I'm doing it. So then I just started doing some research and, you know, I did my fourth year rotation in ENT and then next thing, you know, I got into residency. So that's kind of how it inspired me.
0: Yeah. That's a great, inspiring story. And it's funny that your first case was a fibula.
1: <laughs> yeah. it I mean, talk about like having no idea what was going to happen. I was just expecting <laughs> to spend a lot of time in clinic, you know, do, you know, scope a lot of patients and whatnot, and they were just like, mm-hmm. "We need help in the OR," and I just get thrown in there. And you know, as a medical student, you know, sometimes you just—it's hard for you to really know exactly what to expect or what's going on. Sometimes you're like, can't even read up about a case, and they just like, "We need help." And I'm like, okay, so. Right. But um, I also thought it was cool that all the surgeons were super laid back, but mm. they were literally doing this incredible surgery. I was like, whoa, that's like kind of my personality. Wow. And I was like, that's kind of what I want to strive to be. Um, yeah, yeah. And they also, like, let me help out with s- aspects of the surgery. So I was, like, using the saw, and I was, like, screwing in some of the, um, you-, you know, um, screws into the bone. And mm-hmm. I was
0: like, man,
1: I- they have no idea who I am. And they're just, like, letting me help out. So I just thought that
0: was so cool. So. Yeah, that's incredible. I- I before, yeah. Yeah. So going into residency, you had that experience and probably some of your experiences on your AI. And then how did you um, take all of those experiences and make sure that you are going to be successful as an intern?
1: Well, I would say this, you know, intern year is hard. (laughs) You know becoming a becoming a resident, you know you get as much information as you can from you know your mentors, like the residents that you worked with as a student or even the attendings who give you advice. But it's really until you get there um, you know you know what to expect and there's a lot of bumps in the road and a lot of mistakes, you know you know when I was starting as a an intern, you know, I just had to learn on the fly, you mm-hmm. know that's kind of what it is. You know, you're holding a bunch of pagers, you're answering calls, you're talking to your seniors, you're talking to nurses or anybody you can to just like kind of figure out this thing and eventually Mm -hmm. you just get it. Um, so I would say, yeah, like my away rotations and my rotations in ENT helped me, but as an intern, I was doing a lot of general surgery, Mm -hmm. a lot of surgery, a lot of, uh, ER. And so it was just about just, knowing that you were going to make mistakes and just making the corrections that you needed to, um, in order to just continue growing as right. a position.
0: Yeah, that's great. And knowing that you are going to make mistakes and being able to identify that as a skill that's necessary.
1: It's, it's very important. And obviously staying humble, um, is important too. you know, you'll get those moments where you did great, but you know, you're going to also have those moments where you make mistakes and, accepting that, but equipping yourself with the ability to, you know, fix that and grow from it is, is paramount to being a good resident.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So now you practice as a general otolaryngologist with the focus yeah. in sleep and sinus surgery. What does that daily practice look like for you
1: daily practice for me. So I, I have the privilege of working with a lot of physician assistants. And so a lot of the stuff that we do is very much bread and butter ENT. So, you know, we see a lot of people with nasal congestion, allergic rhinitis, you know, you're, you're a lot of the ambulatory stuff that we see, um, as far as sleep and sinus, Um, So a lot of the patients that come in, you know, may have polyps, may have evidence of chronic sinusitis and have been trying lots of over-the-counter things and just hasn't, nothing's been working or they don't have an understanding of what's going on. Um, You know, at the office that I work at, we do have a CT scanner in the office. So we'll be able to take a really quick look at a patient's sinuses and then make a determination if they do have sinus disease or not and have counsel them on their options. Um the other half of what I do is I take care of a lot of patients with sleep apnea. Sometimes diagnostic mm-hmm. where we do a lot of home sleep studies, but we also send patients for um you know polysomnography in lab.
0: Right.
1: For those patients uh what we're doing is one making the diagnosis but two trying to figure out what is the next best step in their management. Um also counseling. So a lot of the t- a lot a lot of what I do is spending time just educating patients about their disease process or their pathology and understanding how to manage it and what their options are. Um, mm-hmm. and so it, in the sleep apnea realm, if patients are have tried CPAP or they're not interested in CPAP, then we talk about what are the other options for them, non-CPAP alternatives, right. uh, surgical and non-surgical,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in order for them to improve that quality of life for them and improve that quality of sleep.
0: Okay, nice. And have you seen a lot of success with the Inspire, the simulator? I have. Okay. I, have.
1: I, I did a lot of Inspire when I was in residency. And that's one thing that I've been um, trying to do more as, you know, and as an attending physician, haven't got mm-hmm. started on that yet. But I have seen some successes. And it's all about patient selection in, in these uh, Inspire candidates because, you know, there's strict criteria for a reason. Mm-hmm. Strict criteria because of, um, you know, what we know about sleep apnea and comorbidities, you know, if you have a BMI of a certain level, the likelihood of you having improvement mm-hmm. in the anterior posterior direction from a, uh, a tongue stimulator is less. So, you know, BMI less than 32, and then the other diagnostic workup, so doing a drug-induced sleep endoscopy for these patients. Um, but I have seen a lot of successes and, mm-hmm. you know, the STAR trial was one of the you know, the big trials that's really showed for the the patients in the proper cohort um mm-hmm. had such a huge improvement you know going down to you know ahis into the mild to technically not sleep apnea so it's a it's a oh, really right. good it's a really good device um mm-hmm. and on the horizon they're looking at um new technologies that's coming out in europe for bilateral uh tongue um stimulators
0: Oh, okay. Not available
1: here, but I think they're starting to do trials in the United States. So Lot, lots of things that are, are on the horizon in regards to nerve implant or nerve stimulator.
0: So. Mm-hmm. Nice. With your general practice and sleep and sinus, what are the ways that you find best to keep up with the whole field in general and kind of just staying in touch?
1: Yeah. So obviously going to uh Academy. Meetings when you can. Obviously, with the pandemic, it's been a little tough, but I was able to do the virtual um, Cosm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so doing that, also just reading. You know, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things I've always liked to do um, in residency, and I still do it now, is procedures or surgeries. Sometimes I just like read about them, even though I know them like the back of my hand, just to just to stay fresh. Um, but also if I have any questions or things I can, I can think of about a patient's management, I just investigate. So using PubMed, using journal articles, Mm -hmm. using the resources that I have to just kind of ask more questions and get further educated. Um, and you know, the, um, academies, uh, you know, publications, like all all those things that are like sent to the office. Sometimes I'll Mm -hmm. just flip through those and look at the things that are, you know, germane to my practice right. um, just to stay fresh, but also talking to colleagues too. And there's tons of ways to to stay up to date.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. great. And it's helpful for people um, that are medical students interested in private practice ENT as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think the, I think the Academy, I could be wrong on this. Uh, I think the Academy like said, states that most residents don't do fellowship and then go straight into
0: Mm
1: -hmm. into general is my understanding. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in private practice, I mean, you have the ability to to practice whatever way you see fit. Yeah. In private practice, you have the ability to practice whatever scope you feel is best for your patients and whatever you're comfortable with. So you have ways of staying pretty academic if you choose to go that direction.
0: Awesome. So what advice do you have for students interested in or applying to otolaryngology?
1: Yeah. So things have changed since uh, I was a medical student. I remember the most important advice I could give um, to you know aspiring um, future otolaryngologists was show passion for the field. Right. So everybody's everybody's smart. You know, ENT orthopedics, urology, plastics, neurosurgery, all these like derm, all these like really hard fields, everyone's going to have the like, great board scores, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, what's going to separate you from everybody else. And I, and I think also now we, we don't even look at board scores as much anymore. Um, I, I think showing passion for the field, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's doing research, getting involved with, you know, things like what you do, I think, you know, having a podcast for aspiring students, I think that's a, a really unique approach. Um, to not only showing your passion for the field, but, you know, education. Um, I think other things are important, showing leadership, Mm
0: -hmm. showing like
1: why you would, you know, how on paper, you know, can you demonstrate that you'd be a great leader in your field or you'd be a great resident. Letters of recommendation are super important. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's really the best advice. If you're super passionate about it and you figure that out early on, trying to do as much research as you can, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't necessarily have to be germane to ENT, it could be anything. But really what you just want to show is you want to be able to demonstrate uh, your knowledge and your passion for the field.
0: Right. And with the doing away of step one scores, it seems like the emphasis on research and leadership will only increase. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, and I think it's for the best because sometimes there are great, you know, there are great candidates who maybe don't have the 270, you know, step scores, but maybe they missed a cutoff by a point or two. But otherwise, they'd be incredible, you know, residents. So I think switching that and emphasizing like leadership, passion for the field, I think is important and gives those other, you know, other prospective students. Um, opportunities to shine in an interview
0: yeah and like you mentioned like a lot of the virtual formats are great options for students to kind of get involved i know (laughs) the academy has uh, started some mentorship virtually and there are like many options even just on uh, social media like instagram and twitter so
1: yeah yeah i mean lots of opportunities lots Mm -hmm. of opportunities for students
0: yeah all right. It's been great uh, getting to know you, chatting about your path to otolaryngology, um, some of the struggles of intern year and residency and how to get through those, and then your current practice in general as a generalist uh, with an interest in sleep and sinus. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you and uh, good luck in your future career.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you to the listeners for making it to the end of this episode of Sundays with Saima. Tune in next week for the next episode.